Welcome to All About Boys, a podcast that explores the mind and hearts of boys, who they are, and what they need from the adults in their lives. All About Boys is hosted by David Thomas, a licensed counselor, speaker, and author in Nashville, Tennessee. All About Boys is part of the Rooted family of podcasts. Rooted is a ministry that's focused on advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. To learn more, visit our website, www.rootedministry.com. Here's your host, David Thomas. Welcome back to All About Boys. I'm David Thomas, your host, and this is actually the final episode of our season together of All About Boys. And I thought it could be fun because we have explored so many different aspects of a boy's life and a boy's journey to end this season by just answering some of your questions. So Rooted invited you to submit some questions and you submitted some incredible questions. In fact, more than I could possibly answer in this episode, but we took some of the best, most common questions being asked, and I'd love to spend some time with many of those today. We're going to start with a parent who asked, how would you love and encourage a boy who seems to struggle with fear and a reluctance to try new things? Great question. So let's talk a little bit about fear and and about anxiety as well. Although anxiety is more common in girls, currently one in three girls are going to struggle. Plenty of boys struggle as well. It's easy to miss in boys as its presentation can be very different. There are certainly boys who struggle with fear and excessive worry in a traditional way, but oftentimes anxiety and depression look more angry than worried or sad. Often we have to do some digging to get to the bottom of what's there. With anxiety, there's always a power and control phenomena at play. To the degree that I feel out of control internally, I'm going to try and control some things externally. Relationships, circumstances, outcomes. That power and control drive can bring about a reluctance to try new things or even some perfectionism. I talk with many parents of boys who won't try something they can't be amazing at the first time out or who throw in the towel after one attempt. Rather than putting the emphasis on just trying new things, if you sense that's what's driving what's going on, I put the emphasis on the anxiety, the fear that's driving the need for control. That's attacking the root of the problem. One of my colleagues here at Daystar wrote an amazing book on anxiety in kids. It's the best content out there, in my opinion. Although the book is written for girls and anxiety, every practice, every strategy is exactly what we do with both genders in our practice at Daystar. So I would highly recommend you take a look at that content. It's called Raising Worry-Free Girls. We also have a number of short videos and tutorials on our Instagram account at Raising Boys and Girls. That could be a great starting place as well for getting some good, basic, daily strategies and practices in place for attacking the animal of anxiety. Another question someone asks is, how do we balance teaching biblical truth in an ever-changing society and raising children who know and love the Word but also love others for who they are? 
If we root kids in the life of Jesus, the truth of who he is, they can't help but love others for who they are. Jesus' entire life on earth was built around this. It was only the religious leaders around him who struggled with it, called him out on it, tried to trick him or back him into a corner for doing it. Sadly, I don't think many kids today get to see what that looks like on the adults around them. Christians have unfortunately never behaved more poorly on the world stage than in the past year. So I think our first job is letting them sit front row to this balance in our homes with the grown-ups that they trust and know the most, and making sure that as grown-ups, we have folks in our lives who give us good feedback about ourselves and what our kids are observing. Because I talk so often about how kids learn more from observation than information. So that's really the place to begin is getting some good, honest feedback to where we could unfortunately be furthering some of that confusion or lack of evidence for kids to really see what that looks like to live the way of Jesus in front of them. Secondly, I think kids need other role models. We want to help them identify folks in this world in books, films, and social media who are living the way of Jesus. And sadly, again, that's getting harder to find. Also, we are deeply impacted by story. That's certainly why Jesus taught through narrative and story throughout his life on earth. So I think anytime we can anchor him strongly, and I mentioned in the earlier question about jumping on our social media, we also have a tab called movies and books. And in it, we make recommendations for kids of all ages, preschool age, elementary age, middle school and high school of great books for kids to read, great movies for kids to watch, ones that can allow us to have a lot of great conversation about what they're seeing, make good connections, develop critical thinking, but who have characters who are representing these things, again, that we're wanting them to be able to see. Someone else asked, how do we have firm beliefs and boundaries, but still convey our unconditional love for our kids? I'd love to recommend a book to you I read many years ago that was written by a friend and mentor of mine. His name is Dr. Dan Allender. He's written some amazing content. He wrote a book called How Children Raise Parents, How Children Raise Parents, and In that book, Dan talks well about how kids are asking two questions all throughout their growing up. They're asking, am I loved? And can I have my own way? And he talks about what happens with kids as we're answering those questions. So he kind of breaks it down. What happens if kids hear no to the question of am I loved, but they hear yes, that you can have your own way. Or if kids hear no, I'm not loved and no, you can't have your own way or yes and yes. And obviously, as you would imagine, the ideal combo is really yes and no. We want kids always to hear yes to you are loved. You are loved. And we want them to hear no in terms of you can't always have your own way. You're not in charge. The grownups are in charge. And so he talks about throughout this book, what that looks like on a practical level. And 
when I heard this question, that was really the first thing that came to mind. And again, I couldn't recommend the book to you strongly enough because I think it's all about us having firm beliefs and boundaries, a great sense of who we are as people, who they are as children, but also still responding to them with this balance, again, in response to those questions of what I call strength and love, that they are consistently feeling loved and consistently feeling, again, to the boundaries piece, the strength of our parenting that we know setting healthy limits is a part of good parenting. And I would add to that that I think within this question is also the reality that I think is hard to talk about but important for us to talk about as parents is that inevitably in answering in that yes-no way, our kids are going to feel frustrated. At times, our kids are not even going to like us. And remembering throughout development, our priority is not that our kids like us. Our, our priority is not even that our kids are always happy. I think we can prioritize their happiness above their character. And things are out of order when that's the case. We really want to be prioritizing their character. We want to be prioritizing the greater good for them. And I think we can give kids both the boundaries and the unconditional love when we're parenting from that posture of strength and love, again, answering yes and no in those ways. Someone else asked, how do we differentiate a phase from an identity and help our kids walk through that personally and with their friends? I think it's a really important question, particularly for this day and time. I would first say, Keep development in mind at all times. Trust development. You've heard me throughout this podcast. In fact, I think the very first episode I talked about development and all throughout I have, I just don't think we could lean into the wisdom of what's going on with our kids developmentally enough to help us understand so much, all of what's at play. And I think this question in particular Throughout adolescence, our kids are moving in and out of what we call identity formation stages of development. It's a priority developmental task during this stage of life. It's a time of asking questions, figuring out who we are and where we belong in the world, what we believe, and how we are like or unlike the people around us. I think identity formation can scare a lot of parents, understandably, because kids can go in a thousand directions in their search for identity, questions about their faith, sexuality, relationships, etc. This season of life is marked by instability and uncertainty. Most developmental theorists would say it's the most frightening episode of a young man or a young woman's life, and I think, therefore, it can make it one of the most frightening seasons of parenting. Our job as parents in this period of instability and uncertainty is what I call to steady the ship. When the waters are rough and the sailors are panicking, we want to steady the ship. We want to be a steady presence. We can't do that when we're responding out of fear. Again, we want to trust development, remind ourselves that this kind of questioning is a part of this stage of development. That this may be nothing more than a phase. That our kids may be testing the waters simply to gauge our reaction. 
and not necessarily because they've made a decision. It has been my experience, I want parents to hear me say this, it's been my experience throughout my practice that to the degree that kids know with certainty that their parents feel strongly about something, they will at times choose that as their place of questioning, doubting, or experimenting. So, for example, if kids know that their parents feel strongly about their faith, they may choose that as the area to question. I can't tell you how many kids over time I have had made a declaration that they've decided they're an atheist. And I want to laugh with you even as I say that because I've had so many kids that as they talk about it, they're not even certain what that even means. They don't even understand the difference between being an atheist and agnostic. And they're simply realizing that that would be a space, an area that would really get my parents' attention, would really draw out some strong emotion. So sometimes those declarations aren't about anything more than that. And again, we want to pay very close attention. That's back to that earlier response of what's going on inside of us. What kind of feedback could we be getting from trusted sources to know that some of all that may be going on is that they're triggering something because they realize that's something of great importance. So what would it look like within those kind of conversations? Again, to steady the ship. They need to hear us say things like, it's normal. It's normal to be uncertain about who you are in adolescence. It's normal to ask questions. It's normal to be finding your voice and figuring out what you believe. I think it's so good when kids can hear us say that and speak to that and normalize this spirit, this experience of uncertainty. When kids are questioning their faith, consider validating the journey and even voicing your belief that it will lead them to something deeper and more meaningful. Do you see how opposite a response that is? That's a great picture of steadying the ship. Rather than reacting like, what are you saying? Why would you even say that? How could you believe that after everything I've taught you? Instead of taking a reactive response that we normalize, it's, it's normal to be figuring out what you believe right now and then going the opposite direction. I actually believe that when you really wrestle with your faith, it becomes more your own. Rather than just absorbing what's been passed down to you, you become that much more certain about what you believe to be true. That, to me, could be a snapshot of what it means to steady the ship within those kinds of conversations and declarations. We also want to be ushering the kids we love toward other adult voices. You heard me say in an earlier episode that Our voice will get softer in adolescence as parents. The voices of peers and other adults will be louder. Our tendency in response to that is to talk more and talk louder, neither of which I think are effective. (laughs) Rather, we want to be about ushering them toward other healthy adult voices. That's a better option to pray in and usher in other trustworthy adult voices. Another question was, how can we encourage our boys to choose their friends wisely or steer them away from people we know will be a bad influence or let them down? I would say, first off, ask good questions. Ask good questions. I think that's actually always a great practice with adolescents in all areas. And I think it does a lot of things. 
I think it helps develop critical thinkers, as I mentioned earlier. I think it helps our kids get better at connecting the dots rather than us filling in the blanks for them. So if I tell them what friends to choose versus helping them figure out what friends are better options, I'm then preparing my kids for all future relationships. It's also an acknowledgement to our kids that they're capable and competent. Now, let me say this. I talk in my book, Wild Things, as I discuss a boy's social development, that it's very common for boys, particularly in stage three, around nine to 12, to be very drawn to what I call charismatic characters. So, for example, that's a stage of life where if I were to ask any boy who is the most athletic guy in your grade or who is the funniest guy in your class, like immediately, automatically, he could give me an answer. He doesn't have to think long or hard. Every boy knows that because, as we discussed earlier, his antenna is as high as it's ever been to the social hierarchy and where he fits within that. So in being that aware because he can't help but be that aware, he's often going to be very drawn. He'll be talking a lot. He'll seem interested in, sometimes even somewhat fixated on that charismatic character and could devote a lot of his time and attention and what I call relational energy to those relationships that we might say, you know, or we might with greater perspective know that's kind of a dead end road. That's really not going to lead to something lasting. I don't think out of all the guys I've met in your class or your grade is the top pick. But some, again, when we're trusting development, when we're acknowledging development is a pretty normal part. And also, you all, I think a part of parenting with a long view is acknowledging, I don't know how many of you listening are still best friends with the person that you were most interested in in fifth grade, but very few adults are. (laughs) And so that's important, again, to go back to that the friends he's choosing right now might not be the friends he'd choose six months from now, a couple of years from now, by the time he's in high school, certainly by the time he goes to college. So it may be that a part of his making connections is test driving some relationships. No different than we talked in the last episode about dating. You know, I think most adults I know would say they discovered a lot about the person they wanted to marry and spend the rest of their lives with by dating some folks who taught them that they didn't want to be in relationship with that person. So a, a par- trial and error is going to be a part of how we all develop relationally within same gendered, within same gendered friends and also with the opposite sex. So giving him space at times to be clumsy within his social development, no different than he's somewhat clumsy in other threads of his development as well. Now, hear me say very clearly, it is more than appropriate to put limits on his relationships when you are concerned about safety. So you are not hearing me say, if we're talking about a particular friend choice that you believe would involve him ending up in a vehicle with someone who's intoxicated, abusing substances while driving a car, and her son is going to be unsafe. His life is at risk. That is not at all what I'm talking about when I discuss trial and error. When you are concerned or in doubt about safety, we put different limitations in place. We help him make connections with more of an urgency also. 
I would say this to you to consider. I talk often with parents of adolescents, you know, by the time a boy is, let's say, of driving age and he's wanting to spend time with friends or even, you know, before he can drive, but he's wanting to be in other homes and maybe you have questions about or concerns about the type of oversight and supervision those parents may offer or may not be offering. I think a great way to navigate those waters rather than, again, saying, that's a bad friend, this is a good friend. Those are lousy parents. This is what good parents look like. Asking good questions and part of setting the limits within that may be saying, you're welcome to have that friend in our house, but I don't feel okay about you being at that friend's house. And if he pushes back or asks why, I would answer that in a very truthful way. I think it's more than appropriate for boys to hear their parents say things like, I don't know his parents well, or I have some questions or concerns about how present they are when kids are in their home. Again, that's not us making that parent a villain in the story or saying they're bad parents. It's just saying we have different ideas around oversight and supervision. And because I have some questions or concerns about theirs, you're welcome to be here. You're not welcome to be there. And he can be as frustrated as he wants with that response. But it is you saying yes to spending time. I'm not going to say you can't have that person as a friend, but it is you saying no to where that time together can happen. That's, again, even back to our question earlier about strength and love and having limits in place as we love kids, I think could be a great snapshot of that as well. Someone else asked, how do you create in your son or encourage boys to have empathy for others. This seems to be lacking more in this generation. I would say first, I agree with you, it is lacking. It's a part of why when I wrote the book, Are My Kids on Track? The Four Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones, uh, it was important to me and to my friends and co-authors that we include empathy as one of the emotional milestones. Within that book, empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships, spouse to spouse, parent to child, friend to friend, coworker to coworker. It is a game changer. So we do want to be about helping boys develop empathy. And as we discussed, I don't think it's ever been harder. So I would encourage you to, if you own that book, spend some time with that chapter. I talk about some of the stumbling blocks for boys to developing empathy, some of the building blocks to helping them get there. And for example, one of the building blocks would be just us sitting around the dinner table and doing check-ins as a family. That basic practice that we're doing, most families are doing every day or each week, where there is an opportunity for him to both be asked questions and to ask questions of others, to sit and listen to his siblings report on their day. That is an empathy-building opportunity that, again, is difficult for some boys, just sitting through the listening part of dinner. They may be great at reporting on themselves, not so great listening to others. Let me also say within that another ingredient in the mix that can make it a challenge for boys that we want to watch for as we're helping him develop is that boys are, males are, uh, very action-oriented creatures. We're fixers, we're doers, we're problem solvers, which can make it a bit more difficult. This is one of the stumbling blocks I talk about in that chapter. can make it a little more difficult just sitting with someone, just active listening and not interrupting and telling that person what they need to be doing. 
And that's a foundational part of developing empathy. So anytime we can create those opportunities, when we take walks with the dog, with boys, as much as we want to be listening to him talk, share some about what's going on in your life as well and giving him a chance to do some active listening then as well. That is, as we've discussed, an empathy building opportunity. When he is a part of youth group, a small group, a D group experience there too, that is a beautiful opportunity for him to develop emotionally and spiritually simultaneously. So think about the different contexts where boys are going to have opportunities and even more opportunities specific to the upper, even more opportunities specific to the context to develop empathy. Lastly, I would go back to something I said a little bit earlier. Check out that tab on Instagram for movies and books because boys develop a lot of empathy as they engage stories. And again, a lot of recommendations there, as I mentioned earlier, for um, content that is just uh, substantive and layered with good emotional content that I think flex the uh, emotional muscles and do some great empathy building. So, Goodness, there are so many more, but we're up against time. I'm going to hit pause there. I do want to say to you as we close out this question and answer episode, this is, as I mentioned on the front side, our final episode of season one. I am super excited to be introducing to you what is coming next. And I'm really excited about what's coming next in season two and encouraged for you. You are going to get a chance to hear from two folks I really love and trust their voices. And I'm really excited about where they're going to be headed in season two. So season two of the Rooted Parent podcast is called Sane Parenting in Insane Times. Isn't that incredible? Sane Parenting in Insane Times. It's hosted by my friends Cameron Cole and Anna Mead Harris. This podcast aims to equip parents to think biblically about some of the most pressing and confusing issues of our day. They are going to discuss topics such as loving our enemies, engaging with the news, grieving the very losses of the COVID season, and coping with anger, to name a few. In each episode, the hosts are going to dissect the issue, examine relevant scripture, and share how the gospel guides parents into practical action. So, you are in for some great stuff. Keep coming back for more great content. Thanks for tuning in for this time. I have loved spending this season with you. And we'll look forward to you being back as I will be back as a listener for season two of the Rooted Parent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of All About Boys with David Thomas. If you know someone else who would benefit from resources like these, we invite you to help us serve others by sharing this podcast on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing to All About Boys with David Thomas, wherever you listen to podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes only, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. 
The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.